Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we're thankful that you've taken some time in this busy holiday season to worship with us. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. Learning to live like Him. A little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of His followers. Well. This is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. If you are joining us for the first time today, we've been exploring peace this Christmas season in our series we've called Missing Peace. And ain't that the truth? We live in a world that is missing peace. It feels like it's falling apart at the seams. There is anything but peace when you read the headlines and look at the, the behavior that we're seeing in culture. Instead of peace... I see a lot of disappointed people grieving their disappointments in unhealthy ways. So today, we're going to take a look at how you handle disappointments, and specifically, uh, what do you do when you feel disappointed in God? Which kind of feels a little blasphemous to say out loud, if I'm honest. But it's okay to feel disappointed in God. He can handle it. He's got big shoulders. And some of you are there right now. You feel like God has let you down in some area. Maybe you did everything you thought was right and wise as you raised your kids, but now you've got a kid making decisions that are upsetting, to say the least. Or maybe you spent your childhood dreaming of your future prince, and it looked like you got him, but now, ten years later, he's more like a frog than a prince. Your marriage just isn't where you'd hoped it would be, or maybe your singleness isn't where you wanted to be. Or your dream job has turned into a nightmare. Or you're experiencing the stress and anxiety of a bank account that isn't keeping up with inflation. Maybe you're disappointed that God allowed your body to get cancer, even though you've served him faithfully your entire life. And maybe you're disappointed with God because even though you've been praying and trying to keep your eyes on Jesus, you are still battling depression and anxiety about everything and nothing. What do you do when you feel like God has let you down? Well, let's see what truth we can find in the Christmas story. Uh, maybe we'll find some help in this familiar story. 
Uh, Let's begin in Luke's account of the story today. It's the most complete version of the story of the birth of Christ. Uh, As we learned last week, it's been 400 years since the Jews had heard anything from God. We call it the intertestamental period now, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But at the time, they didn't know any of that. There was just silence from heaven. Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 8, says this. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Finally, the silence from heaven has been broken, bringing with it good news. Who doesn't like good news? We need a little good news right now, don't we? Now let's think this through a little deeper for a moment, because what I think of as good news and what you think of as good news might be different. And what we think of as good news might be even more different from what heaven considers good news. A good news, I've just credited your bank account with $50 million dollars. Good news, you've won a new car. Good news, your children will no longer have any disciplinary problems. It's a Christmas miracle. (laughs) Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church and the person who gave us the framework for this series, points out that if we had needed advice, God would have sent a counselor. If we had needed different laws, God might have sent a politician. If we had needed an education, God would would have sent a teacher. But we needed forgiveness. And we needed hope and healing, so he sent us a Savior. Today, a Savior has been born to you. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. You will recognize him by this sign. What is a sign? Uh, In the Bible, a sign is an object that points to a meaning. An object that points to a meaning. It sends a message. And the sign that God uh, sent was not what anyone expected. God didn't send a king in a palace dressed in purple linen with a glowing halo over his head. That's what everyone expected. Instead, he sent a baby born in a hollowed out cave wrapped in burial rags. A sign that this heavenly royalty was born to die. And then suddenly, verse 13, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, glory and honor and power to the lamb who was born to be slain. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And peace on earth which again is really interesting because as you continue to read the story, there is anything but peace on earth. What do, you, what do you do when you find yourself wondering where God is? You're doing everything right that you can think of, but he hasn't come through like you thought he would, and now you feel disappointed in God. Let's look at this story through the, through the eyes of Joseph and Mary. This young couple is thrust into a story that they didn't ask for and have to navigate what must feel like betrayal, deceit, and relational devastation. Try to imagine this through their eyes. 
These were very real people who had hopes and dreams and aspirations for their lives, just like we do. And instead of their hopes, dreams, and aspirations being fulfilled, they are unfairly criticized, hated, shamed, and humiliated. They have this traumatic birth before going on the run as fugitives, trying to protect their lives from Herod. They leave everything they know, everyone they love, the life they wanted exchanged for a life of trouble and disappointment. All because they were trying to do exactly what God wanted them to do. So let's have a little fun with the story for a moment and modernize it as if it happened in our time. We know it didn't. This isn't how it happened. But we're going to use our imagination. Imagine that Joe has it all planned out. He's going to rush home and wash all the sawdust off before he picks up Mary. His heart beats a little faster just thinking of her. He has the perfect proposal planned. After dinner, they'll stroll along the river and end up on the town's only bridge just as the sun begins to dip in the horizon, painting a gorgeous canvas on the sky. The photographer will be strategically planted where Mary can't see him and will capture the moment that Joseph takes the ring out of his pocket and kneels down to propose. Mary will post the pictures on her Instagram page, hashtag blessed, (laughs) and she'll get a record number of likes and comments. Well, Dorcas will ignore it because she can't stand it when Mary gets more attention than she does. They have big plans for the future. They'll get married in May, right before the busy season when everyone is tired of attending wedding after wedding. They'll take a cruise to Rome for their honeymoon. They'll work really hard to pay off Joe's trade school loans early, which means they know they'll live in an apartment, their first apartment, for two years before building their starter home in the new subdivision on the outskirts of town. Joe's going to do all the work himself. Someday, they'll hire help for him. But for now, it's all him. And then they'll start having babies. Lots of babies. They had plans just like you and I would. Did. And then God interrupted their plans with a complicated, untimely, inconvenient, seemingly unfair assignment. Just think of it. She's sitting alone in her bedroom, and an angel suddenly appears to this 14 or 15-year-old girl, and he tells her, you're going to give birth to a son. His name is Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. Uh, question. Uh, Joe and I have been good kids. I'm still wearing my purity ring. I'm a virgin, so how is this possible? And the angel says, This child will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And just as unbelievably as a virgin giving birth, this teenage girl makes the most beautiful, trusting, submitted response. May it be unto me according to your word. She's on a spiritual high. After all, she's in the presence of an angel. That is pretty cool when you think about it. And then the angel leaves, and she has to run to Joe to fill him in. Joe, you're not going to believe this. I just had the most awesome moment ever, and now I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. Whoa. You cheated on me with who? And not only are you a liar and a cheat, but to top it off, you are cray-cray. Like, how would you feel about it? She's on a spiritual high. Was she expecting him to be just as excited as she was? It shouldn't be any surprise that he was devastated. Now, jumping over to Matthew's account of the Christmas story, he writes, 
This is how, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. The New Living Translation has softened the language here. The New International Version more accurately portrays the way things worked in ancient times. It says Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and was going to divorce her quietly. Now, things obviously work different in the ancient world. A Hebrew marriage had two stages, the Kiddushin and the Hapa. The Kiddushin was the engagement, very different from the engagements of today. It was a binding agreement between the, between the two families. And technically, you were married, already married, before the ink dried on the contract. And then the Hapa was the marriage ceremony, and it would come later. Uh, this contract was so serious that if the man died between the engagement and the ceremony, the woman was still considered to be a widow. So technically they were married, but didn't come together as husband and wife until after the huppa. Now again, imagine this. They are technically married, setting up their gift registry at Target, picking colors and china patterns, and then Mary is pregnant in a culture that would consider her an outcast for the rest of her life. And Joseph knows they haven't been intimate. He knows how things happen, and he's crushed and humiliated. This is life-altering disappointment. Modernize it for our context. The invitations have gone out. Some of the gifts have already been delivered by Amazon Prime. You've paid all the non-refundable deposits, and now you're going to call the whole thing off. Worse than the public humiliation is the sense of betrayal. He trusted Mary. He was ready to spend the rest of his life with her, and she cheated on him. And think about Mary. She didn't do anything wrong, and now her fiancé, technically her husband, was considering divorcing her. She would be shamed and shunned by society, not allowed to participate as a normal woman would for the rest of her life. Imagine what she's thinking. God, I trusted you. Now what? This isn't fair. Now Joe's going to divorce me because he doesn't think he can trust me. What do you do when you feel disappointed in God? We've all had these kinds of moments, maybe not as dramatic as carrying the King of Kings and Lord and Lord in your womb, but still important to you kinds of moments when you feel disappointed in God. You had big plans, big plans to travel and enjoy the world, and now, thanks to downsizing, you can barely afford to go out to eat. You plan to be married and on step two of your life plan, but you're still waiting for the right person to show up. Now, your list of what makes the perfect person is just down to breathing. You, you didn't plan on being single at 30. Or you are married and planned on having a dream marriage, not a nightmare-age. You planned on kids but don't have them yet. 
most of us have had life take a left turn when we expected it to go right, and we're, we're left feeling a little disappointed and discouraged. We don't understand why God let this or that happen. Where is God in the middle of your disappointments? Here are two simple truths we find in God's word that might help you process when you don't understand. The first one is this. You don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. Proverbs 19 speaks directly to this thought. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. I have plans. You have plans. Mary had plans. Joseph had plans. We all have plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Isn't it cool that God has a purpose for you? And that nothing can stop his purpose from being fulfilled. No plan of the enemy, no opinion of your rival, you aren't even strong enough to stop God's purpose for your life intentionally or by mistake. His purpose still stands. It prevails. Joseph and Mary's plans are derailed. They are disappointed and discouraged. But as Joseph is figuring out what he wants to do, how he should divorce Mary as gently as possible, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, think about what this means. Even in the middle of my disappointments, God is still working. He's doing something. There's still purpose in the middle of things you don't understand. God's at work. You don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. That's thought number one. Thought number two is this. Maybe your disappointment with God is a divine appointment from God. If God is still working, his purpose for you is still chugging away, even in your disappointment, is it possible that he is protecting you from something as he invites you into something better? Long ago, I was the right-hand assistant to the owner of a company. I had moved with her from her previous company, and now she was reorganizing and doing the work to make the new company profitable, which is business speak for layoffs. She identified about 10 to 15 people who weren't billing enough hours, and, and she, with my help, began the process of laying them off, which is the sucky part of the 5% other duties as requested part of any job. And then one Friday, she called me into her office. It was my turn. I felt this wave of fear and dread wash over me. I had a mortgage, a wife and kids. At the time, finding another job wasn't as easy as technology has made it today for those that really want to work. I was sick to my stomach and disappointed in her, in God, in myself for trusting her. I was dreading my arrival at home, having to tell Didi. What's interesting is that I walked back into an old job on Monday. I never missed a day of pay. 
But that moment changed my trajectory. Before being laid off, I was on a trajectory to miss my calling as a pastor. I probably would have just stayed in the business world. But my new trajectory led me eventually here, where I've served for more than 23 years exactly as God created me to serve. If things had gone according to plan, I would have missed out on the joy of seeing you every week. Your disappointment with God might be a divine appointment from God. And would you really want to miss that? So after a few bumps, Joseph and Mary are getting into the swing of their new unplanned life. They're just starting to figure things out when all of a sudden Caesar Augustus issues a stupid decree. You've got to go back to your hometown to do this census. Put yourself in Mary's shoes at this point. She is not just a little pregnant. She is ready to blow. And we're not talking a little walk across town. All of the cute little children's books that show Mary on a donkey being led by Joseph leave out a few rather important details. This was about a 90-mile trek by donkey, which would be about two weeks for the 180-mile round trip. Two weeks without any income for this poor carpenter and his wife. It's not like he could just load up his laptop and work remotely. Add to that the pressure of caring for a very pregnant wife on a very grueling journey, traveling through the Judean desert where it would be freezing and snowing almost every night. Did I, did I say dangerous? <laughs> they would have been in constant danger as they walked through the valley of the Jordan River, known for robbers and pirates just waiting for people like Joe to rob. Not to mention the lions and tigers and bears, oh my. When they arrived in Bethlehem, there's no Hilton or Days Inn. There's no room anywhere. Even among Joseph's ancestral family, apparently, just a barn. But even here, don't picture HGTV barns of the rich and famous. It's really more of a hollowed out cave. Maybe even like this one in Bethlehem. A hole in the wall with animals. A traumatic birth with no help in a cave. Not to mention those dirty shepherds who came wanting to hold her baby. Put yourself in their place. You've got no income, three mouths to feed, everyone whispering behind your back because they can count to nine months and they know something isn't adding up. And Herod wants to kill the baby and now you're on the run all because God asked you to. Does this sound like peace on earth? This isn't even, this isn't their plan A, B, C, or even D. Imagine if you could transport Mary about 33 years into the future. This woman who said, yes, may it be done unto me according to your word. Now she looks at her son, her flesh and blood, with all creation mocking God in the flesh. He looks up and says, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then later, Father... I've done what you sent me to do. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And this mother watches her son die. You don't have to understand the plan when you trust that God has a purpose. 
When you know God, when you love him and have faith in him and you understand his character, when you realize that he loves you and has plans for you, you don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purposes. More than 350 prophecies in the Bible are about Jesus. In some sense, these are the divine appointments that God invited Mary and Joseph into. Their yes is the story of Christmas that no one saw coming. No one expected that God would become a man conceived by the Holy Spirit. No one would have thought that God would be born in a cave wrapped in rags used to bury the dead as a sign that he was born to die. You were his purpose. Wherever and whenever you are watching this, you were the purpose of God. Because verse 21 says, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what we needed. We needed forgiveness, healing, and hope. So God sent a Savior. His name is Jesus, born of a virgin, so he didn't inherit our sin nature. The Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, his life freely given in our place so we could experience peace with God. And because a providential purpose of heaven came to pass through so many disappointments, in the middle of your pain right now, or your pain tomorrow, you can trust his purpose. You don't have to understand the plan to trust in his purpose. This is the Jesus we celebrate today. Let's pray. Father, I love your word. I love Isaiah who, who writes that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As high as the heavens are from the earth, that's how different we think from you. And I am so glad that Jesus came to a manger throne instead of a golden throne in a palace. I'm so thankful that Jesus came to trade his life for mine. You might be here in the room today or watching online and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never experienced the peace that, that only comes through a relationship with him. You've never experienced the forgiveness of your sins. The freedom from the bondage of, of a life that you don't want to live. Exchange for a life that is more fulfilling than you could ever imagine. This Christmas, say yes. Don't waste any more time chasing after all of the things that the world has to offer, good, bad, or indifferent. 
There's no better place to be than in a life where you chase Jesus. Because in reality, he chases you. It's easy to say yes and your life will change in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And then as you learn to walk like Jesus, it just gets better. And if that's where you're at today, I, I just I want to encourage you to let, let me know. The Christian life is not something that we're called to live alone. It's something we're called to live in community. We make each other better Christ followers. So please let me know. Father, in these moments, we celebrate a king who gave up the greatest throne in the universe for a manger throne in a cave. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who call Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives, and they want to pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God will give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of His kingdom. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.